session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Jolakwin. I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional, psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, um, thanks for calling. Am I on the air? Yes, <laughs> thank you for calling. Thank you so much for having me. Um, this is actually my first time calling, and my mother suggested that I could call you. Okay. So here I am, and I wanted to say that uh, in order to get more familiar with your work, I listened to your podcast about where you talked about uh, fear of intimacy, which was very interesting, mm-hmm. actually. And I have a question about um, dating. My okay. Dating uh, question is uh, that I live. I was not born in. Sweden. I live in Sweden, and I um, partially grew up here. I came here when I was uh, seven years old, and uh, through my teenage years and uh, late uh, or mid twenties, I've been not really dating uh, people, but I've uh, talked to some guys, and I've had one relationship where I was absolutely not ready. Uh, like uh, I wasn't that mature. Uh, and now I have uh, matched with somebody on a dating app that is called Hinge, and mm-hmm. I think he's a really uh, mature and good guy. Um, but the issue is that he um, ended a four-year relationship in summer, and when he signed up for that app, he wasn't ready at all to have another relationship and then when we started talking we uh, realized that we have very much uh, many things in common and that we have chemistry and uh, now he's like uh, he has told me that he needs time in order to like find himself again which I absolutely understand and I have chosen to continue talking to him knowing that he might not be ready for a while um, and something that has been bothering me is that he is trying, I think he's trying really hard to um, maintain his relationship with his uh, ex-girlfriend. And they actually lived together and she moved to Sweden um, from another country in order to be with him. And now their relationship is over and... Uh, he really, really, really wants them to be friends. Okay. And well, I am re- are, are they yeah. still living together or no? No, no, no. Okay. No. She moved out uh, okay. during the summer. And then also, so I can get some information from you, how old are you and how old is he? I am 27 years old and he is 28. Okay. 
Um, now, of course, I'm talking to you, not him. But um, one of the issues, you know, we talk about moving on and getting ready for another relationship. And time helps, but it depends on what we do with the time. So if I say I want to uh, forget about someone and move on, but then talk to them every single day, I'm not mm -hmm. going to do that. It's kind of like if we're saying uh, I want to quit smoking, but I'm going to smoke every day and then, you know, hopefully one day get over it. It's like, no, you have to just uh, cut it off and move away from it. And slowly you will withdraw from it, so to speak. And in a relationship, mm -hmm. it's a little bit different. It could be complicated because it's not just that physical part. And there's many other aspects. I guess you can say the same might be true of cigarettes, too. But nonetheless, mm -hmm. what he's doing with that time is very important in uh, preparing if he wants to. It seems like he doesn't want to move on. Um, mm -hmm. Generally, I think friendships after relationships are very complicated for these very reasons, that it makes it hard to move on, it makes it hard to really create a new relationship. So um, it, it does seem like there's a lot of complications there. Now, you know, yourself, you said you listened to that episode on fear of intimacy. I'm not sure if you felt you could relate to that yourself um, mm -hmm. when you listened to it because what we would have to be just off the bat aware of is are you choosing someone who isn't fully available because in some ways that's also safer for you that he, mm -hmm. he won't um, in a way not force you but actually create the opportunity where you could get close so you might be simultaneously frustrated that he's not as available but you might be also choosing him for that very reason as well mm-hmm so tell yeah. me a bit more about what's going on as far as, you know, you said you met in, um, or they broke up in the summer, I think. When did you and him connect? We connected in the beginning of November. And okay. then we really started talking on the phone a lot during Christmas and New Year's uh, holidays. And then we met. Um, we had, we, we, we went to, we, sorry. We went on a walk in the beginning of December, and then after that, we started talking a lot more about ourselves and our backgrounds. And then we, from the beginning of uh, January, we started like dating and um, like having longer encounters where we talk to each other. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, and then where do things stand now? Well, the. The conversation began last Thursday when we when he dropped off some things that the ex-girlfriend still had left at his place, and then they had the opportunity to talk, and they wanted to have a closure. Like he wanted to have a closure talk with her two weeks ago, and then she freaked out apparently and told him that she doesn't want to have have anything to do with him. But when last Thursday came and he dropped the things off, they had a talk and he got the opportunity to tell her that he was very disappointed in how she wasn't there for him when he was feeling bad during like the in end of the relationship. And it, w it, it was a really complicated relationship because the girl was um, depressed during most of the um and towards the end of the relationship, but he they he told me that they had talked and that it felt good, but I was really bothered. And what I'm interested in uh, finding out in myself is that I I do trust him when he says that he's not interested in the sexual part. It's not it's totally platonic what he wants to achieve to like maintain with this girl, 
but I feel like it still it still bothers me uh, because mm-hmm. it's, it feels like their relationship it, it, they've obviously known each other longer time than I have known him but it still bothers me that um, this um, deep connection is not what I have with him if that makes sense. Well, I mean, you, yeah, you can't have um, four years worth of connection with him because you haven't known him mm-hmm. that long. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I can understand that you don't like the their friendship or depends on how much they want to connect and be involved with each other, especially if he's saying, I'm trying to move on from her. Or I don't know if that's what he's saying. You said something along those lines. What What is he mm-hmm. saying he wants when it comes to you? What is he saying um, his own expectations or wants are in your relationship? What is he looking for? He wants to... What he told me was that he wants to focus on himself and where he is because he needs to find his own routines after living together with somebody for so long. He needs to find himself. And what he expects of our relationship is that um, he he doesn't. He told me that he, he, in a previous conversation, he said he said that he doesn't want to close any doors. Like he's open to the thought of us being more serious or being more involved in the future, and he wants to be there for me and he wants to um, encourage me to reach my goals and all that stuff. But we have not talked about anything serious, like moving together or anything like that well there's a lot of steps i mean i would say a lot of steps before moving in together yeah but but even still doesn't seem like he wants to make or create anything serious with you it seems like he's saying it's very casual and Mm -hmm. leaving doors open but it seems like it's not just leaving the door open with you maybe even i'm not saying with his ex necessarily but there just doesn't seem to be um, a level of wanting to try to make something work with you from what you're telling me. What are you looking for at this time? Well, this is where, where it gets complicated because, to be honest, I have zero expectations. I've always had m- my own idea of what I want in a relationship, but I've never n- known about it that much to be able to define it in, in words. Mm-hmm. So I think that must be why I've always had crushes on the wrong people or I've been like talking to people for so long time and not um, being more involved with them. And I, and what I see in front of me now is that I have this cool, great guy whom I can talk with about anything with and I would like to explore more opportunities with him. And I'm open to also Hopefully someday have some. I don't. I'm. I'm interested in just um, experimenting and know and and finding out what this can lead to. Um, I'm not eager to have a husband or whatever. It's really complicated to talk about what we. What What does a serious relationship mean? I'm okay. not really sure. I know, <laughs> but we have talked about being exclu- exclusive so we don't date any anybody yeah. else um, but I I 
I don't I can't wrap my head around if if I don't I know that is not a universal answer to this but um am I okay with him trying to repair his relationship with his ex in a few months because they have told each other that they they're not going to talk until they're until she's ready to reach out again which and I I don't know if I'm willing to spend a few months on waiting and see if she will reach out or not because he wants his goal is to have um, language she t- she teaches spanish and he wants to have spanish classes with her okay uh, yeah at, I, so i mean i it, it is yeah you said it, it this is where it gets complicated but it was already complicated before that and it seems like okay. it's getting more and more complicated and yeah. um i'm not sure yeah it seems like you're not sure what you want and mm-hmm. of course, when we don't know what we want, it's hard to try to get it or create it in our life. Mm-hmm. And I, it just sounds like you're confused about why do I want this? I don't want something serious, but I don't want him talking to anyone else. And so it well, does. Well, yeah. May I may I rephrase that? Sure. I want something that is um, long lasting and nice. But I don't. I'm not looking for a husband when I say that. Is okay. that more clear? I'm so it's a little bit clear. I mean, you want a serious relationship, but not necessarily marriage, um, yeah. which is b- possible. You can have that, but from what you're saying, he's not willing to give you that right now. He's being very, you know, he's so focused on this X, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. lots of people teach language. It's not that I, I don't know Sweden's mm-hmm. language um, business, but I doubt she's the only person that teaches Spanish in the country. So there, mm-hmm. it's strange how much he's trying to stay connected to this ex and working so hard to maintain and and keep their friendship. Um, it doesn't seem like he's willing to give you what you're even looking for in the short term. But I think because you're confused, it's mm-hmm. hard for you to ask for what you might even want because maybe you want him to completely... Um, end things with her but you're not sure because what if he wants something serious with you and you're not sure what you want you know what I'd like to get into a little bit more understanding your own background and so we're going to go into a commercial break but I do want us to continue the conversation and you can tell me a bit about your own family and upbringing what was your parents marriage like and relationship like Mm -hmm. because even the way you talked about uh, dating in your 20s was very passive it sounded like um, okay. so there seems to be something that you know uh, there that might make it so mm-hmm. that you you know are not looking for something or you're not sure what you really want so after the break mm-hmm. we'll talk a bit more about your own background to get a better understanding of yourself when it comes to relationships mm-hmm. and then we'll go from there okay thank you all yeah. right let's go to a commercial break we'll be right back Welcome back. Before the break, we're with a caller. Let's go back to her now. Radio Hammer, are you still there? Yep, I'm still here. Okay. So we were talking about your dating situation that you're currently in, and as I mentioned before the break, wanted to get a bit more information and understanding about your childhood, what you saw from your parents when it comes to relationships, to see if we can get a better understanding of you and what you're looking for and why you might be a bit confused yourself. So can you tell me a bit about that, your your family dynamics, the relationship your parents had, uh, a little bit of that family history? 
Um, well, my parents are still married. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have any siblings. Okay. Um, what else can I tell you? My parents have not had the best relationship and they have fought during times in my childhood and teenagehood and up until recently actually mm-hmm. but uh, but they're getting along now um, and they've been on the verge of getting divorced and they have not gone through with it um yeah. Okay. What's your relationship like with your father? It could have been better actually because I'm since I live with them and since there's a pandemic now I try to not um hang hang out with them any uh, like at all because I don't want to risk because my job requires me to go to work and I don't want to like um mm-hmm. Expose them. Accidentally, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, to be honest, we just say like, "Hi, how are you? Good morning, good night. Do you want to eat some food and stuff like that?" So, I'm, I'm, I am aware of not having any like deep conversations with them, and this is something that I every night remind myself of. Like, I should, I should do it tomorrow, or I should like talk with them more. Mm-hmm. Okay. What was your relationship like with your father growing up? Like, what what is he like? Um, when I was growing, when I grew up in Iran, my dad was mostly in Sweden, so he wasn't really there for any long periods of time. Uh, so I was in Iran with my mom. Um, so when he came and said hi and like visited us, he it was really nice. It was fun, but it wasn't for many. For long periods of times. Okay. Um, yeah. So I mean, that there was a uh, he was distant, or I mean, literally distant, but not that involved in your life. So you weren't seeing him much, it seems. Yeah. Okay. So there could be something there that could relate to not wanting to get as close, or being used to people that aren't very available or not so close. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. and I think. Also, if we turn it around, like I think I'm extra sensitive to goodbyes as well, mm. since I was always sad when my dad said goodbye and left. And also, when we moved to Sweden, I think that um, affected me very much when it comes yeah. to departures. Yeah, well. that that uh, that makes sense. Yeah, the hellos and goodbyes, and not having a lot of control over them, and it's tough because in these types of situations where you're saying he would come and then go. When he was there, I'm sure you'd want to enjoy them, him, but it was also bittersweet or you might have been afraid to get too close because you knew he would be going again or, you know, and you maybe didn't know exactly even when. But that can make it tough for the child to really want to get close or be comfortable getting close because you know that very soon you'll have to face that painful goodbye again. And so it could be feel safer at times or even as a strategy going forward to think, it might not be better to get close to people because then you have to risk saying goodbye. It's more comfortable mm-hmm. not to get close. Mm-hmm. So there, so there might be some of that. Even the way you know it was just in a, in a sentence or two when you talked about dating in your twenties, you it, it sounded very passive the way you described it. Like I didn't, or I 
wasn't doing it, but there wasn't this sense that you're wanting to be close to anyone. And not in the sense that we should need to be close, but we can have a desire for closeness that it feels nice to have that. And I could see that for you, it might be a little mixed up that you're not sure, do you want to be close or it's a little bit risky to get close. And so the current guy you're talking to, although it's frustrating and it's bringing up some feelings you don't like, there might be some way that you like to choose someone this way because he's not as available. And so it makes it safer for you to not get as close to him. Yeah. And also growing up, um, not as a non-white person, I've always had that in my mind when it comes to dating Mm. that non-white or sorry, white people, white guys would not never be interested in me. Hmm. which is this guy I'm dating now is white and that I was very proud in the beginning of our um, friendship with this guy that one that he's white and I've managed to gain his attention and that we get along we have so much to talk about and then he's not from my field of interest he's he's a computer developer or Hmm. whatever you call it in English and my main like safe area where I always looked for guys was has been the culture, the field of arts mm-hmm. because I've, I've thought that he, this field is where I find my um, ideal partner and somebody who I have things in common with. So I'm really proud of breaking those um, beliefs in myself mm-hmm. that I can't um, get along or it be, get somebody f- outside of my comfort zone to be interested in me. Mm-hmm. But um, I I do agree also with what you were saying about um, non-availability. Yeah, I, I think that is good. Like you said, they were beliefs a lot of times. Uh, not all of us have self-limiting beliefs, these ideas we've internalized that, I, yeah, like you said, I these kinds of people won't be attracted to me or I won't get along with them. And we come to realize that it was just a belief in our head, not necessarily based on reality, but we let those beliefs run our lives. So someone like you might not ever have tried to date someone who is, for example, white or from Sweden uh, originally because you thought you couldn't, even though we now see you can. But related to that, do you feel like if he gets to know you more, he's going to like you more? Or do you think there's any anxiety there about getting close to him and what he's going to think of you? Um, the talk I've had with him is like he does. He has told me that he likes me, um, and he talked to me about in the beginning of our uh, um, friendship or, mm-hmm. or contact, I can call it. Um, he was very. Um, he didn't want to have any feelings, but now he allows himself to feel those feelings but he we're we're not on that level where we we've told each other that we love each other but, but only like we like each other yeah he, he does like me but so he's okay and I'm, that's that's good but you know the way that you said he didn't want to get his feelings involved did he tell you that or he later on told you that that's how he was at the beginning um, when we in the beginning had the talk about like what are you looking for why are you on this app he told me that he's not looking for anything serious and then we talked more about it and he said that he wants to be careful in order to not fall for anybody because when he does then he will get sucked into a relationship and not 
have the opportunity mm-hmm. to um, like work on himself now that he is not in a relationship. Yeah, but this idea, he, you know, he keeps saying I have to work on myself alone. I mean, you do uh, at times that that has some validity to it, but it 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 does sound like he's kind of an avoidant person the way you're describing him. Like I don't want to have feelings and. Uh, uh, so it seems like he's trying to avoid, but it's also puzzling for me because you were saying I'm looking for something more serious, not necessarily marriage, but more serious. But you're saying at the beginning he told you I don't want anything serious, but you still pursued him. Yeah. So the best thing we did was that we started talking and then we never got into this talk before um, much later. So he told me that, and I told him that I am looking for something nice, and um, there is a word in English that I don't know, something that lasts. Um, okay. Like a long-term relationship? Yeah, long-term and nice, and then that the both parties can support each other and be there for each other and have fun and respect and mm-hmm. trust and all those important uh, elements. Um and he told me that he doesn't want to hurt me and that I, I was given the opportunity to think about whether I wanted to continue the relationship or not. And I chose to continue. Um, but, yeah. Okay. Uh, if, if this is for help, if, if this piece of information helps for context, I want to say that he, this uh, latest relationship was four years and yeah. then before that he had a three year relationship and the uh, they they happened very close to each other mm-hmm. and the way he describes it is that they just happened as if he wasn't in control somehow like yeah he, he just, I mean he, sa- he says that a lot it seems that he's not in control of a lot of things his feelings and um, he gets sucked in and things. And so actually, you know, I, he, he says he has some avoidant qualities, but the way you're also describing him, it seems like he doesn't want to be alone either. Um, you're mm-hmm. saying that, you know, those two relationships were quickly after each other and he started talking to you a little bit after, I guess, breaking up after a four-year relationship. I, You know, taking a step back. So you, I know you said your mom had asked you to call or encouraged you. Mm-hmm. What's your question? Like, what are you trying to figure out right now? I'm trying to figure out whether, that's a really good question, I want to try my limits because I told him that I don't want to compromise on anything that's very important for me because Mm -hmm. I've done that many times in my um, prior dating situations Uh and now I want to be, I I don't want to break my own limits. Of what I think is okay and not. And, so and what I, is it that what is it that you want, and what is it that's not okay? That is something that I would like to find out because I know that I've had very big issues with um, feeling left out and not feeling that I'm enough mm. when it comes to relationships and my partner's other friendship. So I want to see if this is something that I could like get stronger uh, from by trying it out if I if I accept that he he eventually if this happens that he gets to be friends with his ex and I trust that it's only platonic is it okay or is it something that I shouldn't accept this is what I'm trying to 
wrap well, I, my head around. I don't know if it's black or white, but the the thing is, you're almost asking me what do to tell you what you feel. You know, because you said I don't want to compromise on something I want or don't want, and then but you don't know what it is you want, or maybe you're not trusting yeah. yourself of of what that is and when i'm hearing you talk and it's some you know you mentioned the this word in english so i'm assuming that english obviously is not your first and maybe not mm-hmm. even your second language so some of it could be language but it seems like it's hard for you to describe what's what you're going through or what you're feeling or what you want a, a little bit i get this feeling of floating like you're kind of just things are happening and you're kind of letting them happen which seems to be kind of what he says too of just things happen and so it seems like you know what I would recommend is that you you have to get some clarity of what do I want and then mm-hmm. go get it and if he's not giving you that you'd have to I mean it's your choice but it would make sense to walk away from that yeah. but it seems that you're yeah. kind of just saying you know I'm not going to accept this and then he's doing that and you're kind of like okay but maybe it's good for me to learn from that and you know it just seems like it's a back and forth mm-hmm. you're not really sure what you even want what you don't want what's acceptable to you what you're looking yeah. for because I don't get the sense he, he there's a the way that you're saying he's so focused on getting close with his ex is a little strange it doesn't seem yeah. like to me someone who's trying to create a strong relationship with someone else and that I want to mm-hmm. take lessons from them that these things don't really add up to someone who's really an available partner to me that mm-hmm. they're trying to make it work with you and it has nothing to do with I need to work on myself and create habits um, mm-hmm. trying to get closer to his ex is not part of taking care of himself. So it doesn't really, to me, make That's sense to say, I'm really trying to be alone and work on myself, but I'm really trying to get close with my ex and make sure we have mm-hmm. a close relationship, uh, friendship even, does not seem to add up. So I do think there's something that him being unavailable is a little bit familiar and comfortable for you, but it seems like it creates this anxiety that you're also used to, which you probably experienced oh, with your yeah. father. <laughs> of him kind of not being around or being there and leaving because of this whole thing and um, moving as you said and being an only child there's probably a lot that you absorbed and it does seem like you're trying to just go through life but not really give yourself the life you want kind of like a survival rather than a this is what I want and I want to get it or make it happen and of course with relationships we don't have perfect control because we have to find someone and make it work and all of that but um there does seem to be a lot of floating. So uh, I would recommend, I think therapy is good for everyone, but for you to go a little bit deeper into yourself, Mm -hmm. because like I said, some of it might've been language, but in asking you questions, I could tell it seemed a lot of things you were unsure about yourself and what you're feeling and what you want. So I would recommend a longer term therapy to get closer to understanding yourself, get out of that comfort zone. And you might even decide you don't want Uh, marriage or you don't want this or that but to do it in a more intentional way rather than just it's kind of happening to you yeah yeah Uh, I sorry I looked up the word and it was durable I don't know if it's uh, (laughs) that works durable yeah durable means kind of strong I guess or it can like take uh, you know it could withstand some things but yeah I think you want a stable strong relationship as as most people do but I think you're also afraid of a stable strong long-term relationship that's why you're in this what we'd call ambivalence you're kind of 
one yeah. step in, one step back, kind of going. And then he kind of seems to be the perfect dance partner for you because he gets a little bit close and then gets far away too. And so mm -hmm. it, you can stay in this, but it's going to be this familiar anxiety that you're comfortable with, but I don't know if it's best for you. And that's why I would recommend going a little bit deeper, which is going to be uncomfortable, but to see what's really going on for you. What do I want? And then creating it rather than just seeing what happens and, you know, let's mm -hmm. just see whatever is going to happen happens. Um, and, and that's it. So that, that would be my recommendation. Mm -hmm for you and to also you know you can't ask me or anyone else what you're feeling at the end you're gonna have to say this is what I'm okay with and this is what I'm not okay with and and, and mm -hmm. go based on that but but good luck with that thank you for calling thank you so much sure have a great day you too thanks all right let's go to our next commercial break we'll be right back welcome back let's go to another caller radio hamra you're on the air Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for calling. Hey, I've got a quick question for you. I have a 23-year-old son who mm -hmm. is graduating this spring, and he seems to be a little lost and uh, kind of uh, doesn't know where to go from here. And I just wanted to um, maybe if you have any suggestions for any sources or books where he can find out, get a direction of what he wants to do where you know what he needs to do after his college ends yeah um there's there are sources i don't have one off the top of my head uh you know that look into your interests and might match you with the career but uh, we can talk a bit more about him of course you know you say he's feeling a little bit lost and uh, at the end of the day he's gonna have to find his way and no one else can right. tell him wh which way to go what can happen and this is something I've noticed a lot with um, uh, this generation I mean even the previous ones but even more the younger generation and something you know uh, we'll look at the parenting and how things have been around him oftentimes our children because we want to help them and take care of them we try to quote unquote guide them but might be controlling some of their steps and they're in you know high school and then they go to college and when they have that path that's very clear in front of them it's easy for them to to keep doing that but once they're asked to make a decision about what they want to do they can feel very lost because they haven't been asked to find their way um, up until that point so there could be some of that. And I would also, uh, as a voice of caution, say it's okay that he's feeling lost. We definitely don't want to rush him in any kind of a way. You know, he's graduating at about 23. So pretty much the, at on time or as, as young as you can, most people at 22, let's say that's like the traditional 18 and then go to four years of college here in the United States. But we don't want to rush him into a career and put any extra pressure anxiety on him because he's gonna do some kind of work let's say for i don't know 50 years and it's okay if it's you know 49 years or 51 years or it's a year or two difference here or there but making sure he does something that's more the right thing or on the right path so th those are just some words of caution how do you see him or describe him do you feel like he does he is indecisive in general or you feel like he actually is decisive when it comes to making choices and decisions no he's he's decisive again uh, except this year with the covid he mm -hmm. um his major is economics and with the covid he wasn't able to get any type of an internship or actually try out any uh, jobs or positions in his field so he is feeling 
kind of incompetent and he doesn't feel he has what it takes to even get a job. And that that's where I kind of want you to, mm-hmm. you know, give me some advice. And if that that's his general feeling, that being lost and kind of uh, feeling uh, that I don't know what I, I can do, how am I going to do it, that kind mm-hmm. of uh, an anxiety that he has also, the fear. Sure. And it has been... Uh tough, uh, obviously, for everyone in different ways this last year, and a lot of opportunities for students have been either modified or just off the table, and so it could give him that feeling that I'm not good or good enough because he's used to doing things a certain way or always being busy and having something, but now now he doesn't or he didn't have the opportunities he was expecting on this plan, and so he's feeling a little bit shaken up of, okay, now what do I do? Um, The feeling of I'm, I'm not good enough that's one that of course is more concerning because even if we figure out what you want to do if you don't feel good enough you might feel like you can't go in that direction what type of things or careers was he thinking about before uh, honestly not a whole lot and he's uh, uh, basically picked economics because he didn't have any major interest in anything particular so he figured uh, graduating economics he can you know work in finance He's not that interested, honestly, at any of these majors. So um, he's, I don't know, even if he even tried, I encourage him to try and apply to finance companies, although it's very hard to for them to hire right now. So it is a bit of a hard situation. You know, he basically graduated, said, okay, I'm going to give it a try, work for finance companies, and, you know, then see how I like it. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, He's not even, I mean, he wants to start applying, uh, but I just see a little bit of a uh, hesitancy and just uh, that I, I just feel that. Mm-hmm. Well, we can understand his hesitancy when he's um, not sure he wants to do it. And so, um, you know, these things are complicated because in some ways we can't just wait and then our passion is going to hit us and then we're going to do that for the rest of our lives we do want to try some things because sometimes we don't realize even that we like something or we don't even realize what the career is like until we go into it a little bit or at least ask people who are in the business or industry more closely to understand their day-to-day and what their experience is like but it does seem that he's hesitant because he's not sure you know if he gets into this finance path which is usually very competitive and early on the hours are very intense um, it's kind of he might get sucked into that world and he might not be sure he wants to go in that direction he of course would not be uh, wedded to that for the rest of his life, but he might have that that concern or that fear. But the way you you talked about him was like he's not interested or he doesn't really have interests. Uh, I find that hard to believe, uh, but maybe that's the case. He doesn't have anything that he's really interested in or enjoys doing or he's passionate about already. He doesn't have that, unfortunately. Again, he kind of went with economics, thinking that this might, you know. I, I, far as job opportunity and it was something you know he he started but again i'm i'm very encouraging him he wants to even you know apply for companies and see how it even feels like maybe once he goes into it uh he he could be interested in it or not but at this point i don't see him even you know applying or anything like that 
that he's not even in his own major. He's not even applying, or mm-hmm. uh, he basically again, it just uh, he doesn't think he's uh, good enough, or he, you know, he just doesn't feel he's qualified, or he can be hired. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, that's that's not true. Everybody's whoever uh, graduates from college has like zero experience, and that's uh, that. You know, he can start uh, at the bottom of the company and build his way up if he's interested. But he just feels he doesn't have much to offer. He's not qualified, doesn't have that competitive uh, uh, spirit or want it badly. That's how I can describe it. Okay. And how was he in school in general academically? Was he... Well, 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 he's actually graduating from a very good uh, university, four-year university. Okay. Yeah, he's graduating from UCLA, so... All right. Was he, I mean, in, in high school, let's say, top of his class kind of a student? No, no, just uh, okay. average high. Okay. Um, and does he have any siblings? Yes. Yes, I have an older son. Okay, and how is, uh, what is he doing? The same field, the same major, and very successful at what he's doing. He's very passionate about it. The younger one kind of chose the same major and uh, hoped to be... You know, uh, just you know, chose the same major. I don't know why, actually, but he chose the same yeah. major. Um, so your older son is in finance? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so he might have felt, uh, if not just a pressure, but okay, that path is acceptable or it makes sense, but then he might feel some comparisons, too, to his um, brother, who you are saying is doing well. Of course, he can't be at the same level of him when he's just entering, but there might right. be some fears of not measuring up there as well and you talked about the competitive spirit or type of a mindset but part of that competitive mindset and you alluded to this is you have to believe in yourself that you can compete or else you're not going to want to put yourself out there so um how would you see he's say he's doing overall is he with this lack of direction is there a depression or depressed mood that you've noticed in him no not really a little bit anxious you know, mm-hmm. he's, uh, again, in confusion and being anxious of what he's going to do uh, once he graduates. That's the only thing that um, preoccupies his mind mostly. Okay, yeah, so he hasn't even graduated yet? Not yet, no. Okay, so uh, I would be aware of the pressure we're putting on him to figure it out. It seems like he has it too. Right. And so give him a little bit of space. I am not concerned at all, honestly. Um, my Again, his happiness and well-being, I just wanted to see, if you know, how mm-hmm. would you know, what would be a suggestion, uh, you know, this day and age, just what he can do. Uh, I just don't want him to be, you know, anxious and kind of uh, say it's going to be okay, takes time, apply different companies, and the time will come. You'll you'll find something. I'm trying to be very Mm -hmm. encouraging and not to pressure him or, you know, say or do anything that I, I, honestly, that's not my concern. I just want him to not to feel the way he's feeling right now. Well, and we might have to al- allow for that too. Um, that he it is a little bit anxiety provoking what he's going through, and you know we obviously will support him, but let him go through that. I'm not saying you shouldn't recommend that he applies to these companies, but he might not want to do that field. So I wouldn't necessarily put a pressure that he needs to apply. I think. That might be in response to, okay, we don't like the way he's feeling, so if he has a job, he might feel better about it if he has a job lined up for after he graduates. So we might have to tolerate um, his anxiety, and of course he'll have to as well, not saying he 
shouldn't do anything, but that we don't want him to just try to get rid of the anxiety. And yeah, if he has a job, maybe he'll feel like, okay, there's something planned for after I graduate, but not necessarily that it's the right plan or the right direction. So I would, if he's anxious, I'd say, you know, I, I get it. It's tough not knowing what you want to do, but you don't need to necessarily tell him what to do. Or right. No, no, I do that. I just, he just feels he's not being productive. Okay. That's, that's his feeling that he's not being productive. But it's interesting because he's still in school, so it's not like he even stopped doing something. Well, some of his friends graduated last year, and they already like in they already found job. They had a hard time finding mm-hmm. um, employment, but they did. So he's uh, he's uh, he's been thinking about that. Yeah. So the comparisons, which is hard not to do, we of course right. oh, we, we want to encourage ourselves and others not to compare, but we, we know it's going to happen um, with kids is his own age, of course. But we we do want to help him figure it out. I would really take a step back and want him to take a step back to say, okay, what is it that I like to do? What do I want to do? Because he has to find his path, and I don't want him to just take his brother's path because it's an acceptable one in the family, or it's clearly going to be okay. Because he's, I'm not sure if that's what he he wants to do. So, um, I, I would try as much as possible to let him feel that discomfort, even though it's tough as a parent to see him be anxious and you want him to do something about it. Be supportive. You can explore things with him, but I would ask him when you ask him what does he want to do. What does he say? Right, right. Well, what does he say when you ask him what do you want to do? Um, he does. He said he doesn't know. He doesn't know. Actually, I'm. Um, I wanted to ask you something. Is there any um uh, people who take uh, like exams or tests for career choices to see what suits them best. Maybe that's not a bad idea for him to take that at this point. Do you have any uh, good sources for those? Or no, I don't have anyone in mind who does like specific testing. There are so many online, um, and of course, be, you'd, I don't have like I said one off the top of my head. So I would go look into those if he if he's would interested. Would you recommend those? Would do you think those you, are pretty accurate and not accurate? Helpful? They don't. They can be. I mean, they're they're not like a. They don't figure it out for you. They give you right. some ideas. Right. Um, I, I think there's just something. M- not I don't want to say missing, but missing in the sense that something within him that's not coming out of what does he want, what does he like, what does he think he can be good in? Is it that he doesn't believe in himself? Like maybe he says, I want to have this career, but I don't know if I can do that, so I have to do something else. Like what does he get interested you know in? I know, I don't know. Honestly, he hasn't said anything. I want to do this, I want to do that. No, he hasn't. Uh, he just hasn't shown any, hasn't talked about any particular path or career. But he never had interest that, that he's passionate about. Yeah, no. but he never even growing up, you know, in teenage years, there was never something he was excited really, about. Really, no. But strangely enough, no. I never heard. Oh, I want to be this. I want to be that. Basically, kind of, uh, you know, graduated, applied to a good school, got accepted, and just, uh, you know, the four yeah. five years. That's was that's his was his brother very good student? Was was there no, any comparison average, there? Okay, average high. Yeah, they were both average high, and I think, uh, you know, super mm-hmm. outstanding. So I'm just wondering if there's any comparison or any way he felt oh, no. No, not I good d- enough. I don't believe so. I don't. I, I, I don't think so. I, okay. I, I, we never tried. I don't see him. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, there does seem to be some kind of a, a fire or something inside of him that has not come out that he needs to to figure out. I, and it could help if he finds what he wants to do, obviously. But yeah. just believing in himself more. So I wouldn't just focus on the career part. Right. 
it's also just his overall feeling about himself and and what he wants to do. I mean, I I think I mentioned as the last caller, it's not something surprising that I always think it's good for people to go to therapy to better understand themselves. Right. So it, it's something he might need more to under. I wouldn't get it so preoccupied with the career part. It's very important, but um, just his overall sense of direction from himself is something that I feel is lacking that he's not sure and not you know feeling so hard on himself while he's still in school and it's been tough maybe he would have already had some opportunities lined up um but it seems like even if he did does he know he wanted to do those opportunities i'm not sure what he would want to do if he had his pick of doing anything would he know so uh, to me it's i'm less concerned about the specific career choice but overall the way you're saying there's something like, you know, usually people are excited about something growing up or they like some kind of field or area or even something that's not, maybe we don't think of it as an educational path, but they'd like to be a musician or something, right. a career that gets them excited. But from what you're saying, there wasn't much of that. Right. Yeah. So I would, I think it's more important that, you know, as I said, if he's uncomfortable or anxious, it's tough for him to sit with it. I'm sure it's hard for you as well, but we got to let him not knowing is one of the hardest feelings, but we have to accept that at times that that's where we are at. And you can just let him know it's, I know it's tough not to know. And that's it. I wouldn't even, I, I would say at least I would pull back on saying apply to jobs or do this or do that yet and let him figure it out. Give him a little bit of space to even be uncomfortable. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Nice Oscar. talking. Very you. good advice. My Thank pleasure. You. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, I was wondering if I could get some advice concerning the possibility of switching my major. Okay. Uh, not Well, not necessarily switching my major, but perhaps... Um, perhaps... Uh, developing a tangible skill that I can use in the workforce. Okay. All right, that sounds um, very tangible itself. The way you said it, it's already concrete. But let's let's go ahead. First of all, tell me how old are you? Uh, I'm 19 at the moment. 19. Okay, so uh, a lot of time to figure out the tangible skills that we're trying to figure out here. But tell me about where are you at right now, and what are you trying to to figure out as far as uh, when you say tangible skills? Uh, currently, I'm uh, a student studying uh, political science. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm nearly finished with my degree. I've got around a year and a half left. Um, the one thing that's concerned me is in these classes, we're dealing a lot with philosophy. We're dealing a lot with uh, government structure. Mm-hmm. And it feels very different from what I imagine something like a STEM course would have, which is teaching you tangible skills that are in demand. That sort of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there, that's true. It's it's interesting. It's, you said tangible, then you said political science, and I was thinking that's one of the more not, like it's not a very tangible field um, compared to, like you said, STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering, math, I think that's what it stands for, um, that are more, they can seem more concrete, the things that you learn. But what is it that you would like to do, or what do you, what do you see yourself doing? Um, well, I'm not exactly sure at the okay. moment. But I would certainly love to um, work in international affairs mm-hmm. um, and perhaps work for the U.S. government. Okay. Uh, and now it's interesting. I don't know if you were listening to the previous caller, but she was 
uh, it's a, it was a mother concerned about her son who was kind of trying to pick her major. And then um, I know you're not her son, but it's kind of interesting now to get to talk to you trying to figure out uh, what you're what you're doing. And what's better is that talking to you is um, you're the one that can figure it out and you're going to have to figure it out. And uh, at 19, I'm not concerned if you don't know yet. Lots of people change. I'm not saying you shouldn't be thinking about it, but to not know, as I was telling the previous caller, can be understandable. Now, is it that you like this field, but you're concerned it's not tangible enough, and so it makes you wonder if you need to switch fields or add something to the side? Because going into these types of policy and um, working with the government, it, it, it is different than, for example, learning... A specific type of engineering let's say um, but what is it that you're concerned about is it that you like this field but you're not sure about the future in this career or how uh, let's say set your future would be if you pursue this yes um, I'm concerned that while I really enjoy the topics here um, and while I do ace my classes it's not really something that I can see myself as being in demand that sort of makes sense it's possible I don't know enough about the careers in that that you would pursue. Um, now, is this what is the family dynamics as far as is there any pressure from the family of what you're doing or figuring things out? Yes, I think they despise it. <laughs> Did you say they despise it? Yes. Okay, so let, let maybe we should get into uh, to that a little bit. So, what is it that they despise? And I'm assuming they would rather you do something more what they consider concrete. Yeah, um, well, certainly I think the only option they believe is real is to be a doctor. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's, um, you know, it's almost cliche type of a Persian um, response. I, I would sometimes joke that when you apply to a university, if they ask for ethnicity and you put Iranian, they automatically make your major pre-med. They don't even give you a choice. It's like an autofill um, because they assume that's what you have to do. So they want you to go into medicine and they're, um, since you've been doing this for a while, were they upset when you chose the major political science? Uh, not particularly. Okay. Um, they seem to disapprove it, disapprove of it. Mm-hmm. And as the years have gone on, they've slowly ramped up their criticism. Okay. So they've uh, kind of coordinated attack, slowly building up. Um, and sometimes, you know, the sense could be, well, he, she, he's studying political science, but he can still take the science courses and then go into medicine. So uh, they didn't think it was off the table yet. But as you're getting further into it, they, they are. Uh, do you have any siblings? No. No. Okay. And so where is the pressure coming from? Is it mom dad both extended family um it is mostly my parents but also myself um, mm-hmm. something interesting about my degree is speaking to different professors and former students um most of them have explained that the degree is what you make of it mm-hmm. and that unlike something like um obviously like a medical degree you're not going to be fast-tracked into a job uh, it's something that you'll have to explore and sometimes have to explore for quite a while and that there's a risk that you end up not in a career that necessarily lines up with what your degree mm. uh, consists of. Sure. I can I can get that. That can make sense. It's, you're right. Some careers, like yeah, if you go to med school or, let's say, dental school, there is a clearer path. Of course, still a lot of range in what you can do, but it's much more clear than something like political science. What do you like about political science or the potential careers or jobs you can have in that field? Um, 
That's a good question. I'm well. I love the topic. Uh, it's something that's very interesting to me. Um, understanding culture and how it affects um, how society functions is something that was really interesting to me. Um, and sort of the imagination of being a government official was something that was attractive. Mm-hmm. Okay. And does being a doctor is that something you are interested in? Uh, no, I like that hospitals are clean, but <laughs> beyond that, not much else. Okay, so I don't know if there's some level of, not necessarily OCD as a diagnosis, but um, focus on cleanliness or orderliness, and maybe even that's something you want to bring into the, the government positions you would potentially have. Um, but it seems like you don't have an interest in, in that, and the pressure from your parents is basically that there's one acceptable career. Um I, I, to me, it doesn't make sense for you to pick a career based on what they want you to do. Uh, I'm sure they'll tell you it's because they, and I'm sure they do, of course, they love you, but they're saying it's just out of love for you that they want you to pick a career that's stable and you'll be happy and things like that. That would be my, my hunch based on things I've heard before. Um, but I would want you to pick a career you, you want to do. But is their focus primarily that they you should pick a career that's more stable and um, that you'll be sure to be happy if you become a doctor? Yeah, uh, my father has struggled with his own employment uh, just as he's gotten older, mm-hmm. and that's one of the avenues in which they've encouraged me to be a doctor um, because they say they're always in demand, that salaries are high, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a certain prestige. The I mean, there's, there, there's truth to that for sure. Uh, if I may ask, what does your father do? Uh, he's a civil engineer. Okay, um, which is obviously part of the STEM uh, type of uh, careers or fields that you were talking about. But so basically, they're saying med school or bust is kind of their mindset. Basically, um, even other people I've talked to that my mother has sort of gotten on the phone with me, mm-hmm. um, they've said that well, there's no really other degree other than medical school. Um, <laughs> Well, I think I think every um, university on the planet would beg to differ with um, that uh, statement, but I guess I know what they mean in, in a figurative way. Uh, and did did your? Because I'm not sure if I understood when we were getting the calls. Like I don't really get to talk to the person before, but was it your mother's encouragement for you to talk to me? Yes, uh, okay. she called here without my knowledge. <laughs> oh, so you didn't even know you were going to come on the air? No. Okay. Well, welcome. Uh, uh, that's a kind of an ambush. I didn't know that was the case. And uh, now I'm, it's kind of an interesting uh, dynamic because she probably thought you're going to talk to me and I'm going to get you on that med school path. But unfortunately, I hope she doesn't pull the plug halfway um, through our conversation, because if anything, I'm, I would encourage you not that you shouldn't go to med school, but that you should do what you want to do. And if that's not med school, then um, I don't think you should go to med school at all. Med school's obviously a very, very tough path to go into. Um, it's challenging. There there are a lot of good things about it, but you're going to have to work so hard. And if it's something you don't want to do, that's bad in, in multiple ways. Um, so yeah, I feel a little bit strange that you didn't know you'd be put on the, the air, but that does give me a sense also of uh, a level of control that, that might be going on in your family and how they interact with you and that there isn't a lot of room for you to budge outside of what they want you to do, or at least that's how they might make it seem. Right. Um, well, it's also of my own concern uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to a career. Sure. Uh, they've certainly influenced me, but 
one of the concerning parts that I've sort of experienced is working in retail mm-hmm. uh, and working in call centers. Um, those jobs have sort of made me miserable, and it sort of made me panic in that, is this the sort of job I'm going to be stuck in if I do not have a degree that's in high demand? Well, again, I don't know what would happen in your career or what you... Uh, like you said, your professors have said you'll make of your degree, but uh, you know it doesn't mean you're going to be working in a call center. There's there's nothing you can do. Um, I think there's room for people with lots of different degrees to to make their lives very comfortable and well and be happy with it. So I can get that anxiety comes in, and they might also be projecting some of their own anxiety of the employment and financial insecurity that your father has he shared with you or experienced, and they're they don't want you to feel that and that's a lot of times what people do in general but especially parents they they go through something that was really difficult and it almost becomes their crusade to make sure their kids don't go through that same thing almost to the point of at times neglecting other important things so it it seems like they're coming from the mindset of the only thing that matters is that you have a financially stable job nothing else matters it doesn't matter if you even hate your job it doesn't matter if you don't like it at all as long as you're financially stable that's the only only thing that matters and this seems to be the easiest guarantee is if you go into medicine um but i think that would be missing a lot of just you getting to live your own life and doing what you want to do so i can get the anxiety that that it's not as clear but if it's something you're passionate about and enjoy i would hope you pursue that right um one of the concerning things that i was thinking of is perhaps developing a skill on the side would be useful as well um because as great as political science is perhaps if i explored a STEM career, perhaps something that had to deal with the government. Um, So if I, for example, thought computer science was interesting, I could use that as an avenue to get uh, stable government work. Um, That was sort of a path that I was sort of considering. That's possible. I wouldn't want to discourage you if you have other interests and, uh, you know, you can go into the government and policy, especially if you have uh, education and expertise in another field at times you can then affect that policy even more directly or clearly or with uh, you know you'll have more capacity so that that's possible I don't know again you know what's the the path for someone who graduates with a political science degree a lot of people go to law school when they uh, study political science I know that's one of the pre-law type of majors but I don't know if that's necessarily the right thing for you but I wouldn't let the anxiety completely drive what you're doing which is what I'm hearing Uh, anxiety sometimes is based on something real so I want you to look at those options but I wouldn't want you to make a decision just based on this anxiety that I have to have um, a certain skill Uh, even though you're saying your father has an engineering degree but has had challenges so it's not that it's a guarantee anyway so you, you can do that if you think that will add to your capacity to create change in the ways you want to do that. I think that's important. I would focus more on developing yourself into doing the things you want to do and not to make it sound cheesy or cliche or it's so easy, but then the money follows or the security and stability will, will in a way follow if you develop yourself in a way to be good at what you want to do. I wouldn't go straight into the let's do something financially secure quickly and and then you know do that so uh, i mean especially at your age you're you're so young and you can figure out a lot of things um i i wouldn't let the anxiety make the decision for you 
Right. Um, yeah, I guess it's just difficult for me to imagine um, a job that doesn't include me being exhausted by the end of it, which is what I've experienced in retail and call centers and things along the lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what my chief concern is, is uh, sort of finding a job, not that I'm necessarily ecstatic about, but a job that um, leaves me not exhausted, if that sure. makes any sense. Well, you know, um, there's a few things. One is I don't get the sense that what you want to do is similar to call centers or, or retail as far as your work goes. Um, and work can get, make us tired. It can definitely, it, it takes energy out of us. But when we're doing things we're passionate about, we tend to get energized by the work too. And so even for me, when I get to, let's say, do my show or see clients, a lot of times I feel more energized after the fact than I did before because it feels good. I can feel drained at times, but in a good way where I feel like I'm uh, you know, kind of using my energy in a positive way that I feel good about. So I, I don't think I would make that connection that doing your work is going to be like a call center um, because, uh, you know, because, you know, that again, that anxiety of not having the security would, would lead to that. I, I don't get that sense. It's, it's We don't know where your career will take you, but I hope you'll go in the path that you're passionate about rather than, again, the anxiety making the decision, which oftentimes we do. We just say, we take that safe route. And I don't think what you're doing is so unsafe when you're saying you're pursuing a degree and maybe you would go into, I don't know if you're considering grad school, if you uh, don't go, let's say the STEM route, what would you do next? Um, preferably I would start an internship mm-hmm. um, and then grad school was the main avenue um, and then law school was sort of uh, a path which I am considering as an option. Yeah. So I, I would say, I hope you go down that path that you like. I'm, my guess is one of the arguments you also hear is you're really smart. You should be a doctor because you sound intelligent from talking to you at 19, especially. Um, so, But I think your intelligence can be used in lots of ways. It's not just to, to be a doctor. So I, I hope you'll go down that path. You know what's feasible in your own life and look at what's around you. But I really wouldn't want, as I said now, maybe four or five times, maybe it's my own anxiety, but I wouldn't want the anxiety to make the decision for you in going in that path. It seems like it's very promising what you're looking at and you really like it. And I think you can be good at it from what I very minimally have heard from you. Um, So I wouldn't want you to get off of that path to take something that they're telling you is this conventional path. And the more they say it and you're hearing it from so many people, it can almost feel like a reality when everyone's so worried if you don't become a doctor. But, um, you know, it's not really the way the world works that that's the only way you're going to be stable and happy. Right. I guess um, I don't really know much what's going on. Sure. I mean, it's and, and you don't you, you can't know so much at this stage when you're still in undergrad and figuring it out. So you won't have, uh, you know, having a path that everything seems clear, like the medical school or even the STEM routes, it, it could be comforting in that way because it's more set. Um, but I, I don't think that should be the reason you make the decision to change. If you want, obviously, it's going to be your decision at the end. But from what I'm hearing from you, the passion and the interest is in what you're studying now. And I, I think you should continue pursuing that. All right. Well, I appreciate you giving that advice. Yeah, it was nice talking to you. Wish you the best. All right. Have a good one. Thanks. Take care. All right. Let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So the two previous callers had to do with 
picking majors and one was from the mom's perspective, one was from someone themselves trying to figure that out, um, but also family issues were at play. And actually today, uh, before I got to the calls, I did want to talk about a topic of knowing ourselves, which is one of those cliche things we hear a lot about to know that thyself and we have to understand ourselves and even the relationship with ourselves self-love all of these are very important topics and issues but i wanted to look at one aspect of how we get to know ourselves which itself can seem strange when we say to know yourself you feel like well i am me so how could i need to get to know myself better well to begin with even when we look at what we're thinking or feeling it, it turns out we often don't know so when we ask people or when they've done research to try to ask people what they feel, most of the time they don't know or they might try to figure it out, but they're not really very aware. So our level of self-awareness tends to be much lower than we realize because on the outside, when we think someone is functioning, we think they, of course, have to be aware of what's going on with them. But there's varying degrees of understanding ourselves first and even just being in touch with what we're feeling in the moment, that type of self-awareness that I feel a little bit tense or anxious or bodily, even feelings of what we're feeling, being in touch with the body, which is related to feelings because what we feel things, it's a bodily sensation that's part of that. But having that awareness of what we feel is one aspect and what we're thinking, but also going a little bit deeper into the why that we do things so for example we look at our relationships and some people have very little awareness of why they let's say keep ending up in similar relationships then they think oh it's just my luck or that's just how men are or women are or that's how love is but they don't take a closer look to see what is it in them and especially what's in it in their past that might be creating what they are experiencing. Uh, I, I'm going to paraphrase a quote from Jung, I believe, where he says, uh, when you don't understand your past, you're doomed to repeat it and consider it as fate. So basically, you just think this was destiny. These things happened, not realizing that it's because of the things you've been through. It's how it's shaped you, how you it shapes who you get attracted to and who you choose to be with and how you create those relationships that ends up with those results, but it just seems like fate, like it, there was no other way. And so in a, actually we can look at it that we have to become aware of our past to make sure it does not dictate our present and our future. So that's another part of understanding ourselves is looking at what have I been through? What were my family relationships like? What were my parents like? What did I experience as a child growing up? What are my insecurities? What are the things I fear? How do I feel about closeness and intimacy? What do I feel about relationships in general? The caller today um, very clearly was aware of her own issues with hellos and goodbyes, especially. How do I feel about those things? And and a lot of these things, of course, no one likes goodbyes. No one, uh, everyone has some level of anxiety about intimacy at some level. But we're looking at the degrees and in what ways it might show up in your life so we have to take a closer look at ourselves and not assume that because i'm me i already know me um, not only are we not as in touch with what's going on consciously but in our unconscious there's so much that we are not aware of and i talked about this recently that the unconscious in some ways it needs some rebranding because we tend to think of it since uh, it was in some ways formulated around the time of freud or he was one of the big proponents of it about the dark impulses and these really nasty things or things we have to hide from people are all in this dark 
unconscious. But your unconscious is just everything that you're not aware of in the moment, which includes all sorts of things that even allow you to survive or function in this world, uh, information that you don't need at the moment that you might be able to access if you do need it, and a whole variety of different things. So it's not uh, this, this dark place or this dark thing. But that can even affect what I wanted to talk about further when we're looking at this relationship with ourselves or knowing ourselves. So first looking at it from a different perspective, when we look at relationships, I, I really enjoy the work of Stephen Mitchell in his book, Can Love Last? He discusses how when we look at romantic relationships, and very often people will tell you, oh, you know, the passion, it has to die, and it's going to get boring, and you're going to get bored of your partner, then there's no way around it. And he explains how, although we might think this is somehow inevitable, what we recognize is actually both partners are complicit in creating this boredom together. So how does that make sense? There is a dichotomy or a balance between passion, which has some level of being unknown, when the person is unknown, that can contribute to a level of passion, and then also stability, which comes with knowing or feeling like you know what to expect and what's going to happen. And in some ways, we're in, um, there's this balance between these two things that we're trying to achieve. So of course, when you first meet someone, you get intrigued and excited about them and you know a little bit, but a lot of the passion is created by this not knowing. Of course, some a lot of times we're idealizing and filling in those blanks, but there's this mysteriousness in trying to understand someone that contributes to that feeling of passion. Now, what we do over time is, of course, we do get to know the other person better, so less of them is unknown. But we trick ourselves and we trick each other to believing that we totally know the other person, that there's nothing unexpected about them, and that now they are boring. And we do this because we are too anxious about this not knowing that we trade the passion for stability. So essentially we trade passion for boredom and think it's inevitable, but really it's part of our own creation and our co-creation with our partner that we're saying, oh, I know exactly who you are. You only do this, you're like that. And there's nothing else to know about you. And this is more comfortable because if I know you, then I can't get surprised and have to experience anxiety of that unknown of what are you going to do or who else can you be? And so what we know is that we don't fully ever know someone. We don't even fully know ourselves, which I'll touch on as well. We don't even fully know our partner in a given moment. But on top of that, every human being continues to evolve and change as time goes forward. You are not the same person you were a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. So if you have uh, a husband or wife, even if you think you know them so well now, it doesn't mean you will always know them because you already know them now. Again, you don't fully know them in this moment and they're going to change. But we choose to think that they are boring because that's safer. And so we would have to do is actually acknowledge that, yes, you know your partner and there's a lot you do know about them and feel connected and doesn't mean that you don't know anything. You do know them to a degree, but there's a lot you don't know and there's facets and aspects of them that you don't know yet and actually that they might not even be aware of, but that can come out as they experience different things or get in different get in touch with different parts of themselves. And so what I think is interesting is that this is something we see in romantic relationships, but it's also something that we do with ourselves. It can be a little bit scary to 
feel that we don't know ourselves or to explore more deeply who we are. In therapy, something that at times happens is you can feel the client's anxiety as we get deeper into understanding them and their psyche and what might be some of their unconscious drives or feelings they might have about this person or that person because they're afraid of what they might find. If you're looking for something you really want, you can look intensely and you won't lose energy. But if I tell you to go look in all the the doors in your house and in one of them might be a monster, you don't really want to look. And sometimes we're afraid of finding the monster within ourselves. When it comes time to try to understand ourselves better, we're afraid of what if I find out that I'm really a bad person or a mean person, or I'm not as nice as I thought I was, or I really have a lot of anger that I'm not in touch with, or I have these desires that are really bad. And so it comes back to also our understanding of being human and recognizing that we all have all sorts of different feelings, impulses, desires that don't make us bad people. Good human beings have all sorts of feelings and desires. And it does, of course, matter what you think and feel to some degree, but not much. It matters much more what you do with those feelings. So if you're in a romantic relationship and you find yourself attracted to someone, that doesn't make you a bad person. What you do with it can affect looking at that behavior as good or bad, but just the desire doesn't make you good or bad. Or you see a car and you say, oh, that's a nice car. would love to drive it. That's not bad. You think it's a nice car. Now, if you actually go steal the car, that's a different story. So when we're trying to understand ourselves, it can be important to recognize and first have the mindset that it's okay for me to look closely at who I am and to try to understand who I am and whatever I see will be okay. This is why we talk about acceptance when we talk about loving ourselves or loving someone else. It's that we're going to accept whatever is there. It doesn't mean everything is equally as good or we like everything as much. Or we want to promote everything as much, but that we're okay seeing what is there. And so when we look at the boredom we can have in a relationship, this same sense of thinking, I already know myself, there's nothing else to know, can create boredom in the relationship we have with ourselves or in the way we experience our lives. I already know what I like and I don't like. I'm not going to try anything new. I already know the kinds of relationships I like, and so I won't try to uh, create a more deep relationship or a serious relationship, or um, I might not want to even change the relationship that I'm in. So oftentimes we ourselves let ourselves get bored with ourselves because it feels safer and more comfortable to be bored than to actually enjoy life and experience the uncertainty that it requires out of us to keep seeing the excitement that we can get from ourselves and what we can experience. Sometimes people try something new and they realize they actually have a huge interest in something that they didn't know they had until they actually allowed themselves to experience something new. But that means we have to face the anxiety of that unknown, face the anxiety of if I find I'm interested in something I didn't think I liked, then I have to maybe rearrange how I think of myself and who I am and all sorts of other things, which can feel a little bit scary. So when it comes to knowing ourselves, we of course have to be willing to look within to try to understand ourselves in the moment, to understand our pasts and how it's affecting us, the patterns of our relationships, to not be afraid of what we're going to see it's okay we're humans we have all sorts of different feelings and desires and things some of them 
we might not be as proud of or don't like or might not broadcast, but at least we can become aware of them and accept them. And also we have to allow ourselves to experience different things because we can try to predict what we'll feel when we do something, but we're not very good at predicting a lot of times what it actually will feel like. We think we'll really enjoy something, and then when we actually do it, we don't get as happy as we thought. We thought something would be not enjoyable, but we, we find it pretty good. We meet someone and we think, oh, there's no way I would have a good time with them, but actually when we allow ourselves, we see that we do. To, so to better know ourselves, we have to make sure we don't fall into the trap of getting bored with ourselves or choosing to get bored with ourselves by trying to say, I fully know myself and there's nothing else about me. There is much more about each of us if we only allow for it to come out. All right, let's go into our last commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So I wanted to end the show talking about revenge. Pretty... uh, intense topic i was talking about getting bored maybe this will be a good way to shake things up but wanted to talk about revenge what what is the best revenge and even first even looking at why do we want revenge um because that's a very intense feeling and we even lots of movies and uh, books surround this theme of revenge because it can feel like this sense of making things right and that's essentially where revenge comes from when we've been wronged in some way it makes us angry for we get hurt when we get angry and it doesn't feel right and we can feel that things are not settled until we get that revenge it makes things equal it makes things fair it resolves that negative feeling that we have and actually just taking another step back a lot of what we experience in life is exactly that we have a negative feeling or we have some kind of feeling that doesn't feel good and we're trying to get back to an equilibrium. Even uh, we can recognize this in the way that people communicate. A friend comes to you and they say you're sad, they're sad. You can feel this pull to try to make them less sad back to an equilibrium or you yourself feel something and we're trying to get back to an equilibrium. It's kind of like a lot of the drives or desires that we have, not exactly the same, but for example, you're thirsty You drink water to take away that thirst and you get back to an equilibrium. So often we have feelings and what can happen is we have this desire to act to resolve that feeling. Now how we act to try to resolve that feeling can be many ways and different paths towards that. But that's generally the sense that we have. Even compassion in a different way. You see someone suffering. It makes you feel bad. And because you feel bad, you want to do something to help that person, which in a way will then resolve your own bad feeling. And this can be why sometimes people will say, oh, there's no such thing as a selfless act because it makes you feel good, which there's a little bit of merit to that. But I think we have to be very careful because then someone would essentially be arguing if they're saying it's the same because you feel good, just like if someone else steals money and feels good, that the person who tries to kill someone and the person trying to save their life are both acting equally as selfishly. And I don't think that's true. And I don't think that would be something that we would want to think of as a good value. So yes, we can feel good when we help someone else, uh, but this doesn't necessarily make it equal to taking from them. So the person taking and the person giving, I don't think we would say they're both equally as, as selfish or equally as good, or we should view them the same. But when we feel something, we tend to want to resolve 
that feeling. And even going back to compassion, unfortunately, this at times can make us not do something because if we see that someone is hurting or if we see that many people are hurting and we feel that we can't help them to resolve that issue, we have what we experience is something that, that is called collapse of compassion where you try to justify it or get rid of that feeling because you can't make things right. So if I told you, okay, outside your door, there is this five-year-old girl who is cold and needs food, almost everyone would say, absolutely bring them in. Let's give her some food. Let's take care of her. Let's make sure she's okay. If I tell you there's 20,000 people outside your door who are cold and need food, now you don't know what to do because you know you can't take care of 20,000 people yourself. And so you feel stuck. And in a way of dealing with this, trying to resolve our feeling, we can think that it's easier to not care about those 20,000 people, which seems strange. We care less in some ways about 20,000 people suffering as we do for one person suffering. And a big part of that is because with the one person, we feel like we can resolve it and resolve our feeling when it's 20,000 we tend to find a way to justify maybe it's okay, someone else has to do something, and we'll try to find ways to distract ourselves or take away that feeling because we know we can't resolve it with those actions. So now coming back to revenge, someone hurts you and you feel that I want to get revenge on them, I wanna make it right. And you know, you'll see people post memes, different things, sometimes we'll say the best revenge is living a good life. So this seems like in a way advanced rather than saying the a revenge is to go hurt the person the same way. And generally speaking, although we think it's going to make us feel so good, uh, it generally does not. Usually people don't feel better from revenge. You can, but a lot of times you don't because it's not so clean. Someone hurts you and you hurt them back. Very often there's consequences of the thing that you've done and now you have to deal with that as well depending on the situation so usually we don't feel as good as we think we will there's a sense that it's going to resolve how we're feeling um, but a, very, a lot of times it doesn't and of course it depends on who this person is if it's a family member someone you're very close to hopefully you won't think about revenge you will think of resolving the issue so if your husband or wife or a family member upsets you hurts you do, does something you don't like what will probably be best for you is rather than using that anger to try to hurt them back, to try to make things equal in that way, bring back your equilibrium in that way, what will likely be better for you is to express that feeling to them that you are hurt or upset by what they did and try to make it right in some other way with them hopefully acknowledging and apologizing for what they did, if there's something they can do to make amends or to make things right to do that. And also very importantly, so that they know and will make an effort not to hurt you in that way again. So this way it also takes care of you in a better way. If they hurt you and you hurt them back, it might just create this pattern of hurting one another rather than creating a pattern of when we're hurt, we express that hurt to each other and we try to work on that feeling and learn what hurt the other person, not, not do that again. And so I would hope that in a romantic relationship or family relationships, really in general, but especially when you can create that dynamic more clearly and directly yourself, we approach things in that way. That would be ideal. So if you have uh, a significant other, I would hope that revenge does not seem like your path to making things right. My husband hurt me, let me hurt him back in this way. My wife hurt me, let me hurt her similarly or worse or make her feel it. This is not going to lead to a good solution. This is just going to lead to a war 
and you're going to be hurting each other and creating this dynamic of, of hurting back and forth. Um, so we tend to think we're going to make things right, but we don't feel that way. But sometimes people say the best revenge is, is living a good life. And essentially what they're saying is let those people that hurt you see how good you're living or the haters or whatever it is that people might talk about. Um, people very often like to talk about having haters even when they don't or maybe they don't really know who they even are, but the sense that there's people out there that don't want them to do well. And so there's a sense that I want to do well and then show them how well I'm doing. And actually social media has become a easy way to use this to broadcast how well we are doing, hoping that those people will see it. And sometimes people do this. People will post, even I've heard of stories, it's not that uncommon that someone will post, for example, flowers or a gift that they even got themselves, but posting in kind of a discreet way that someone has sent this to them. Um, Thank you so much. You surprised me with this gift to let other people know, oh, look, someone you know, is in love with me or someone is sending me gifts, I'm doing so well. And so we at times will look for ways to broadcast how well we are doing, which in some ways is in line with this mindset that the best revenge is to live a good life or to make money um, and to make other people see that. And then they'll have to, you know, suffer um, and feel bad about that. Maybe it seems a little bit better than going and attacking them. I would agree with that. But I would say we can go a step further than that, which when I say that, I already recognize it means it's going to be more challenging, easier said than done. But just to think of it in this way. But to me, the best revenge on someone, especially we're talking about not in some kind of like, let's say your husband or your wife, but when people are saying people don't want me to be successful or they don't want me to do well, the best revenge is forgetting you wanted to get revenge and just living your life. Not living your life to prove to them something, not that that'll make them upset, because if we don't do this, we're still letting them dictate our life in some way. And so we can't just magically do this. If someone hurts you, again, depends on who they are, what we're talking about, but we can try to come to terms with that. If someone says, you're not, you're not gonna make it, part of what we get angry about is we might be believing what they're saying. It's a hurtful thing to say, but at times it's our own self-doubt that it's getting amplified and we're trying to prove it to ourselves, but projecting that and putting that all onto them, what our self-doubt is. So we're trying to prove to them that, no, see, look, I could make it, but we're letting them dictate what we're doing because what can also happen is let's say someone says, oh, you'll never make a lot of money. Maybe you don't want money to be the most important thing in your life. But if you're just trying to prove that person wrong, you might want to make sure you make money to prove to them that they were wrong. So you are in a way letting them choose your standard. If they think having a lot of followers is what they're making you feel bad about or telling you you're not good enough at, then you're going to strive towards that and let them make that decision. So the best revenge to me is actually forgetting you wanted revenge to deal with those feelings of hurt or anger if you feel something really strongly recognizing it might not just be about them, it might be about you. If someone tells you something about you and it triggers some intense feelings, yes, for them to say something mean, that's bad on their part. But we always want to look at within ourselves, if we feel more of a reaction to some kind of comment versus something else, very likely this is triggering some kind of insecurity 
within us. So sometimes I just give an example. Let's say someone walks by randomly, someone's muttering to themselves and they yell four insults at you, not even looking at you, not even realizing, but they say you're stupid, you're poor, you're ugly or something else. And one of those things sticks with you. They don't even realize it. They walk away, but you realize when they said stupid, you keep thinking about that. Oh, that guy said I'm stupid. What? He doesn't know what he's talking about. And you realize you're still consumed by this random comment that the person threw out. That's telling us that something within that comment is triggering an insecurity in you. So if someone says something, you're never going to be this or you're never going to do that or you're no good at this or whatever it is. And you feel such a strong urge that I'm going to prove to this person that they were wrong. It is likely because it's triggering something in you related to that, whether it's a doubt or an insecurity about yourself. So I would hope that for all of us, we can look for a way to work through whatever it is they said or did in that moment, if it's bringing up stuff, focus more on ourselves and live our lives, forgetting that we wanted revenge or leaving that behind, not letting that be the thing that is driving what we do and don't do to prove to them something, because in that way, you're carrying them with you that person that doesn't like you or that said something mean to you, you're carrying them. Oh, look, look what I'm doing now. Do you see how good it is? That's not actually healthy or helpful for you. The best thing you can do is to work through that, let go. And to me, the best revenge we can get in the sense of when people are saying you're not going to be successful, you're not going to make it that type of revenge. The best revenge is to forget that you wanted to get revenge in the first place and live your own life and live the life you want to live that's going to be the best way to deal with that revenge. All right, that brings us to the end of today's show. As always on the Wednesday shows, thank you to Ghazali here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Farid Alakwi. Hope you have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.